Ladies and gentlemen, apocalypse survivors of all stripes, welcome to another episode of The 1099. In these very troubling times, we are grateful that you are still here with us to enjoy our favorite games, to foster meaningful discussions, and to always, always, of course, push for change. Before we dive in, I want to warn folks, if you didn't glean from the title of this week's episode, uh, this week's episode is a spoiler discussion of The Last of Us Part 2. Uh, that's a bit of a warning because, one, of course, everything is on the table, including story spoilers, uh, the ending details, uh, what happens to certain characters, and two, because a discussion about The Last of Us Part 2 can't help but discuss a lot of heavy topics like, you know, death, uh, there is uh, depictions of violence against women, LGBTQ plus issues, and plenty more. Uh, we obviously won't try to be as aggressive uh, with our descriptions, but considering that those are the core themes of the games, they're pretty much going to be unavoidable. Uh, but yeah, if that is a problem, you know, we totally understand. And I am absolutely, absolutely honored to have this week's guest on, uh, the lovely Natalie Flores, the weekend editor at Fanbyte. Natalie, how are you doing? Hi, Joe. I'm good. I'm so happy that we're finally on a podcast together. Exactly. I, uh, <laughs> we, we missed each other. We missed each other at the Chicago uh, the near automata the, concert the near automata yeah. symphony i got sick and so my my lovely partner aiden was the only one going but i'm sure they gave me enough of, hugs uh, on your part yeah plenty of squealing yeah. in, in public there <laughs> uh but yeah no i um for folks who don't know natalie uh, a wonderful uh young up-and-coming writer now weekend editor at fanbite just you have been one of the most promising writers uh, Thank you. I have seen in years and I am so glad that like I I, I have the pride of being like I followed her before um, <laughs> you know they 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 had this or that you know uh, title or whatever uh, so thank you for coming on the show thank and, you for having um, me we I, I was particularly interested in your perspective on The Last of Us Part Two because you wrote Pace Magazine's review. Yes. And I, I of course it was restricted like like all the other reviews, it was restricted yep. in many senses of what you could talk about because of embargoes and whatnot. But uh, despite that, I think it was a really beautiful review that touched on a lot of the uh, more unique perspectives that that game uh, brings to the forefront. And uh, I wanted to start off our spoiler discussion by having you read uh, a small excerpt from your uh, piece. If you wouldn't mind, go ahead and do that. All right, and thank you for the kind words. Uh, so the excerpt I will read is near the end of the review where I write, despite those flaws, I considered giving The Last of Us Part Two a perfect score because it is a brilliant story that will stay with me forever. I am in genuine disbelief it has affected me as much as it has, that it has turned a game I was once ambivalent about into a franchise that has so much meaning for me going forward. Despite the proudly gritty image the marketing of this game has presented, it's The Last of Us Part II's quiet moments, always accompanied by a spectacular soundtrack I can't stop thinking about. It's Dina listening to Ellie play her guitar, Joel's lingering glances filled with regret towards Ellie in the dead of the night, Abby being told she's a good person despite living in a world that has broken the illusion of good and bad people as much as it has been broken itself. It's the normalized celebration of queerness, the validation of fury and how we wield it in our yearning for justice, and the exploration of women who are, in many ways, beyond redemption, and how they are so molded by tragedy that they might be deserving of it anyway. 
And yeah, I think that that out of uh, it was a modest, like probably a thousand word review, but uh, that excerpt stuck out to me the most because it, it very succinctly wraps up what I think it, it is funny to think of The Last of Us Part Two as just the more more of The Last of Us. There's mm. the same general uh, stealthy gameplay, uh, post-apocalypse, you know, traversal and whatnot. Uh, but if it had been just Joel's game part two, I think that that would have uh, uh, been a knock against it. And the fact that, of course, the the perspective of this game is uh, so much on Ellie and then later Abby, uh, another uh, female character. So, yeah, that excerpt really spoke to me because there's so much about The Last of Us part two that, that could have been. It, it is in some sense more of the same. You are still stealthing around. You are still... Uh, dealing with post-apocalyptic factions and trying to get from point A to point B, collecting and all and all the usual gameplay stuff. But I think it's the perspective of Ellie and then later Abby uh, and then some of the other side characters that we meet along the way that I think it really enrich it. And you yourself, you you mentioned in that review that you really did not like uh, the first Last of Us um, mm-hmm. and you did not expect to enjoy uh, this one. But what what was when was the first moment? Uh, while playing The Last of Us Part Two, where you were like, "Oh wow, I'm actually like, I, I'm actually really enjoying whatever story this is t- telling, and uh, I, this is different than what I thought I was going to get coming in." Oh God, it's hard to pinpoint because for the first Last of Us, it was just it, it was the opposite. It was me waiting for that moment when it would finally click, and it never really did. And even now, considering. I can safely say that The Last of Us Part 2 is probably my favorite game ever. I still don't care for the first one and like I don't really care for replaying it or re-looking at it because um, I did rewatch it right before The Last of Us Part 2 came out but it's not something that I care to go back to. Uh, but for me it was just from the beginning like it just it was this experience in which I kept bracing myself for the moment when it would fall apart for me, and it never did. So it was the exact opposite. Like, I was like, oh, are they, is the relationship between Ellie and Dina going to be very tropey, or is there going to be something really insensitive? Is there going to be some, I don't know, some moment that really falls into you know, uh, like tropes for bisexual women on Dina's part, or um, you know, there was the concern of bury your gaze from the marketing uh, that The Last of Us Part Two had. Uh, right. When Lev, you know, was introduced, I was like, oh, is this going to be like another insensitive portrayal of a trans person in a video game? And while I will allow trans people to um, and genderqueer folk to dominate those conversations, uh, that moment of like, oh, this is really, really bad never came for me. And so... Yeah, I just, the entire time, I was bracing myself for the worst, and I was so consistently stunned by the fact that I just kept experiencing the best out of this game. So it it clicks from the beginning, just the little stares between Ellie and Dina, um, just the interactions. I really love Ellie. Uh, I'm also really gay for her. Like, I'll be the first to admit that. Like, she is my wife. I I want to be Dina. I have Dina's features. I can pretend Ellie's my wife. So for me, it was different from the start. I was playing as this character that was a totally different um, character from Joel, 
who I did not really care for in the first one. So I just clicked from, from the beginning. I, I can't pinpoint one specific part, I guess. It was just all kind of a little magical to me. I told my editor at Pace, I was like, I'm just interested in seeing how sort of messy this might be. I, I don't know, based on the marketing, like, everything had put me off but something in me was like I need to play this game and see it for myself which I don't always extend that to like I don't plan on playing cyberpunk 2077 despite how much it has put me off um but for this game I did feel that and I think it was I don't know the universe's way of telling me hey there's something here that will be really special to you and you should give it a shot and I did and I'm happy yeah, the the idea of saying like I don't know if I'm gonna enjoy this experience, but there's there's gonna be something in it that maybe uh, connects to me in a way uh, is, is a powerful force in media. And I suppose like with you you raise the good point about yeah, Joel's perspective from the first game. Um, uh, I, I enjoyed the first game for what it was. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of appreciated it more on a uh gameplay level than a story level because it was fun to see a, a large studio like naughty dog engaging with a much slower pace where when everything was going uh full uncharted action yeah, uh breakneck pace thing. i was like I, yeah i was like i i'm really glad to see a slow burn story play out but um you know so for folks who maybe uh haven't played the game but don't care about spoilers it's probably worth it to give a a super quick uh spark notes summary of the last of us part two uh the I, I'm sure I will miss some details here and there because the game is long. Oh my god! So it is. I, I finished it in about three or four days. You finished it in two, and I have no idea how you did that. I but, don't know how uh, I did it either. Just next time you have to play a really big game like that, I recommend sleeping at nine a.m. on the first day and then seven a.m. on the second exactly. day. That's that's how I did it. I... Yeah. <laughs> I um so the game plays a lot with uh flashback sequences to illustrate what happened in the four years since the end of the events of The Last of Us One, wherein Joel basically slaughtered the hell out of the Firefly Hospital to uh save Ellie and uh make sure that she didn't uh unwittingly sacrifice her life for this potential vaccine. Um, and over the course of the, the game really starts almost not quite in media res, but, uh, you, you wonder what, what is the situation of the characters? Cause like everyone's still got some tension going on, but, um, uh, Ellie is starting up this relationship with Dina, um, who herself has just gotten out of a relationship with Jesse, a, a male character hanging around, uh, Jackson and joel is uh big spoiler time joel is killed uh by abby this uh mysterious figure who comes in uh and and corners joel and tommy while they're out on a patrol and that is ellie's impetus for uh going out and saying like i want revenge and tommy goes out ahead of her kind of in a noble uh like i i would rather sacrifice myself than have you sacrifice yourself uh angle and the game thusly follows ellie figuring out okay these six people were there when joel was killed with abby finds them and it's funny like to borrow a note from waypoint like the game really does at least for ellie's perspective i think it really does go exactly where you think it's going to go 
wherein Ellie has that slow decline into like, I'm getting more and more frustrated that my need for revenge hasn't been sated yet or that like I'm hitting all these uh, uh, roadblocks. And, you know, you have a few moments where she goes off the deep end and savagely does something as brutal as what they did to Joel. Uh, and uh, Abby's part of the story, which kind of starts improper halfway through, uh, is is much more about she she is trying to uh, do her business with the WLF, the this faction who runs Seattle, uh, or at least most of Seattle. And the war against the Seraphites or the Scars, the crazy religious cult, is not going so well, and they're losing a lot of people. And I think the most interesting thing about Abby and her character uh, and, and the characters around her were that many of them were former Fireflies. So it's kind of that that weird dynamic you get when, you know, it, it we, we see this sometimes in, like, games media or game development People who like worked on the same team or same project end up working on a future thing with a different team. But like, you know, hey, we know each other. We've we've already bonded. There's a little bit of camaraderie there that influences her decision and how she approaches her business with the WLF. And then eventually she is the one person really of that group to reach across the aisle uh, and say like, hey, you two Seraphite cult kids who like escaped after something went wrong and they wanted to kill you like i feel bad for you let me let me help you out uh in some way because i feel like i need to redeem myself um that to me was the most interesting thing but i think ultimately and you know now i think you and i might butt heads a little bit on this i think ultimately uh after playing through the ending three chapters in the epilogue wherein Ellie and Dina have uh, basically given up their quest for revenge because uh, Abby beat the shit out of Ellie. <laughs> and uh, uh, after they've given up that quest for revenge, they're living on that farm. They are living this you know seemingly idyllic life. Things are going okay, but Ellie is still, of course, struggling with uh, uh, panic attacks from the trauma of witnessing Joel die and all the things that happened in Seattle. Uh Ellie goes to Santa Barbara to confront Abby one last time. Uh, can't go through with murdering Abby, even though she has like the upper hand at one point and comes back. And I think the game, and that's when the game re reveals that like, Hey, shortly before, uh, shortly before Joel died, Ellie and Joel had had a heart to heart or the closest thing that two socially awkward people like them could have a heart to heart uh, and said like, Hey, what you did is still super fucked up and like i don't know if i can ever like forgive you, you know if you can forgive you for it but i'm willing to try yeah. and that to me i think the game is ultimately an arc about the importance of forgiveness because it was stolen from her by abby yeah. and i wonder what you think as far as the broad strokes of ellie's arc yeah i I definitely think the game is about love and forgiveness at the end of the day. Um, I never saw it as being more about violence and hatred and the cycle of revenge. Um, it's it's really complicated writing, um, but for me, I thought forgiveness and love were such... Like, everything Ellie and Abby do is out of 
love, like, right? Like, Abby kills Joel because of the love that she had for her father, who was taken away sure. from her. Ellie, and loving, and loving Joel and preserving his memory, the only tangible way that she can do that through is through violence, through trying to avenge him. Um, and since the opportunity to heal with him and mend that relationship was robbed from her, the only way that she can really sort of come to terms with the fact that that was stolen from her for the rest of her life is through trying to avenge him and killing a lot of people in the process. Um, but I think, like, I've seen the criticism that Ellie doesn't really grow, that she uh, she spends the whole game not questioning her violence and not questioning her motives for doing uh, what she does, but... I really disagree with that notion because she is constantly affected by the violence that she is doing. Like she, um, that scene in the theater with Dina backstage when Dina is cleaning her wounds, like she is so traumatized by the violence that she is capable of um, that she just totally breaks down in front of Dina. And mm. so I think, I think that is part of that. That is ultimately Ellie's arc, sort of growing from that and learning how to forgive learning that there is another way that she can honor his memory and honor what she learned from him and what she gained from him and the love that they had for each other because I mean I think I think we can all relate to that on some level sort of your family making mistakes or those people who are closest to you hurting you in ways that you probably won't really forgive but that you're willing to try anyway because you love them and I I don't think those things are mutually exclusive um, and reducing that to, you know, like just like reducing Joel's character to either this patriarchal figure who took away her agency in defining her life and this father who is unproblematic and just was totally right in doing what he selfishly did. I think those, uh, those do a disservice to his character and in a similar way, um, I think sort of reducing the story and Ellie's arc in particular to just violence and hatred does a disservice to the fact that she really does grow and she really does learn ultimately at that, you know, at that shore, she learns that she can try to forgive Abby um, because it's not like killing her will bring him back. And she probably mm -hmm. knows at that point that killing Abby will just sort of make it worse for her. It, it'll just poison her from the inside even more. It's not going to bring back Dina. It's not going to uh, give her the strength to go back to her family home and spend, you know, the rest of her life with JJ and Dina in peace. Um, but maybe forgiving might because she tried to do it with Joel anyway and she wasn't able to at the end. So maybe if she tries to do it with Abby, maybe something will come out of that, something that's better for her. You know, th that you raise an interesting point about, yeah, the the, the nature of f friends and forgiveness or acquaintances and forgiveness is a very different beast than family and forgiveness, right? Yeah. Uh, and and on some level, like, I, I have the privilege of having a family that is not, like, super fucked Same. up. Uh, <laughs> but I still have, but I still have a level of frustration and anger with members of my family for taking a certain path in life you know in this day and age of course the the common one is uh, politics and seeing my my father 
um, the guy who like really got me into journalism because he had newspapers all the time mm-hmm. uh, and like magazines and whatnot. Seeing him devolve into a Facebook, you know, conservative weirdo guy has hurt me a lot, and that's really strained our relationship to where like I've I've thought about like the gosh, you know, what if what if he gets hit by a car tomorrow and like you know I gotta. I got to go into the deathbed and like have a, that kind of conversation with him. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, am I going to reach out and say like, Hey, yeah, you were a good dad. Like I forgive you for any like bad stuff. Uh, or would I, would I have enough spite and hate in my heart to, uh, you know, to, to either, you know, push him away or to tell him off in his final moments, like, you know, something horrible. And, there's a, a million shades of gray to that, but yeah, I think Ellie, yeah, Ellie's arc really, I, I don't know if it's communicated as clearly as it should be. Mm-hmm. I think we you have to read a lot into it to get what you see out of it, but I don't think what you're reading into it is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like it would have come across way more effectively if the final confrontation, they have those two final confrontations, the one in the theater where Abby uh, kills Jesse and uh, shoots Tommy, I, I like an arrow. No, uh, well, yeah, shoots Tommy, and then Lev puts an arrow through Dina's chest, probably like narrowly missing a vital organ or yeah. something. Um, and for me, I I thought like, okay, wow, cool. I I when the first farm sequence happened, I was like, it, it's such a sharp cut from the theater. Uh, to the farm, I was like, "Oh, this is a dream sequence. This <laughs> is this is not real. Like, when's the pin gonna drop?" Because I was waiting for something like that, yeah. and uh, seeing it actually, like, "Hey, yeah, there there is good here. There they have built something good for themselves." But uh, Ellie is still, of course, plagued by so many of the haunting visions. She can't. She is try she was forced to try and give up her quest for revenge but there is a part of her that still struggles with the much more um uh, mental hurdles of getting over uh joel's death and the the injustices that were done upon her and for me that kind of speaks to me as the partner of someone who deals with their publicly deals with their own uh levels of trauma Mm -hmm. and survivorhood and uh I, I thought that the scene where Dina sits down with Ellie after she has a, fl- uh, a traumatic flashback in the barn um, with while holding JJ, Dina like kind of getting down on her knees and like, you know, sitting alongside mm-hmm. her partner and riding that wave out uh, was very real to me. I don't know if you had thoughts about that kind of those couple of farm sequences. Yeah, no, I, I love that entire farm sequence. Um, I've, made it very public on uh our spoiler cast that fan by over it like it, it i was actively sobbing throughout that entire section because of what it meant to me as a queer woman um specifically a bisexual woman who has always seen the potential future in which i have a husband and a family and this home and this life that i got to define on my own terms in regards to happiness and you know, personal contentment, um, but I haven't seen that potential future explored with a woman, especially in a video game, especially in a 
game like this with this much fidelity and, you know, a AAA game, um, which are the games that I grew up playing. Uh, I only found out about indie games once, once I really started to sort of delve into the industry, but AAA games are most of the games that most people tend to play. Um, and so that visibility was so, so important to me. Um, and yeah, just that, I could talk about that entire farm sequence for like ever. So I'm trying to sort of limit what I say, but, um, (laughs) yeah, just, so yeah, I don't know. Let's talk a little bit more about Dina and Ellie perhaps before moving on to Abby stuff, because it, it is true that like, yeah, there, as we said before, their love manifest despite a lot of the hatred and violence surrounding them and i think that that kind of translates really well to real life because one i I obviously can't understand perfectly understand the perspective of uh uh lgbt people but i have been there as a partner to where um dina you know very willingly goes along with ellie on this uh, quest that you know from the get-go is probably a foolhardy errand but you know, she's not going to let her partner do it alone and it's going to be tough, but like, it's better that I'm here for it. And uh, that, that, that spoke to me. I I don't know if as a, a bi woman that that speaks to you. Oh, absolutely. Just like, just like how I think Ellie at the end couldn't imagine not going to Santa Barbara and having to do what she thought she had to do. I think for Dina, it would have been incomprehensible for her to not follow Ellie um, despite the fact that I'm sure she knew that either this was going to be pointless or was going to end in their deaths but I think Dina wouldn't have been able to stay in Jackson and uh, she wasn't able to leave without Ellie similarly Um, sort of they you know Jesse comes and they have to sort of leave Dina while she's suffering from her pregnancy um, behind in the theater but Jesse at one point tells Ellie like she's not leaving without you like her orders are that I should help you with this quest however I can um, before we sort of take her back to Jackson so that she can have her pregnancy safely Uh, but yeah like I just Dita and Ellie mean so so much to me I can't even start to really form it in words but it, it was so refreshing to see um a bisexual woman and uh have her bisexuality reckoned with or I'm not really sure whether to say reckoned with because I don't think that's quite the proper term for it but mm-hmm. um I just really love that you know it it's very clear that she was in a relationship with a man right before um she was with Ali and while she is with Ellie, there are consequences to that relationship that she unfortunately and fortunately has to go through. Um, and so it, usually bisexual characters are reduced to being gay or straight when it's convenient for a lot of people. And I do see a lot of people still, even with the game and the context it provides, calling them lesbians, which really frustrates me because Dina is obviously not a lesbian and bisexual erasure is so frustrating to deal with and see. But um, the fact that her sexuality is made very explicitly clear and that there's no... um, Like, there's no point where the game really, like, toys for long with the idea that Dina 
might be unfaithful or something or you know any of those standard tropey things that bisexual people and characters are relegated to um very clearly from the beginning to the end it's it's so evident that Dina loves Ellie with her entire being um and that Ellie loves her too I don't think when Ellie makes the choice to leave her I don't think it's quite so much that Dina wasn't enough for her as it was that she was literally unable to live like she says it I'm I can't sleep I can't eat I can't function as a human being and so if she you know was to treasure Dina and JJ the way that they deserved and the way that she truly wanted to um, treasure them she had to go do this thing Um, which is why I really hope that uh, whatever we get whether it's like a standalone expansion like uh, The Lost Legacy for Uncharted or uh, The Last of Us 3 or something um, that Ellie and Dina can make amends and I think Ellie and Dina's relationship also serves as a beautiful parallel to Joel and Ellie in some ways and that I'm sure Dina might not ever forget her uh, forgive her for leaving her and the baby but maybe she's willing to try and I'd like to believe that will come in the future um so yeah yeah i i think that that's ultimately the biggest difference between the final moments of the first game and part two here is that in the first game joel makes a conscious decision to lie to ellie and whether he thinks that that was just the right thing to do and like shield her from the the emotional consequences of what really happened there uh or if it's just a selfish act you know we we may never know um but the ellie makes the consciousness she i was frustrated when she left dina but i understood the like closure oh yeah it broke my heart like i I, was like sobbing I, I get that there's sometimes as a partner, there's things you have to do for yourself before you can be there for others. Yeah. Uh, but then when she finally gets back to the farm and sees everything cleared out and sees the like, <laughs> how heartbreaking was it when the, the guitar it has like one or two strings that are broken or like out of tune? Uh, and so she can't play that song yeah. um, uh, beautifully evocative of like, you know, how empty she feels and how empty this house feels as she can't even fill it with somber music. But she makes the conscious decision to say, all right, I'm going to put my backpack on. I'm going to leave this thing I built and I'm going to, I, in my personal interpretation, find Adina again and Same. work towards that forgiveness, which is different than what Joel did too, because he i i think this is such a guy thing is <laughs> he probably wanted to find redemption he wanted to find a silent redemption redemption by being her father figure and doing father figure things yeah. where you know take her to that museum take her uh uh to go get guitar strings to help her live a richer life than she did before but also maybe intentionally or other or or not probably unintentionally like ignoring some of the emotional uh development and needs that she needed that uh, (laughs) elderly men are just so fucking bad (laughs) at uh maintaining uh speaking you know speaking from experience with my own father my mother was the the one who cared more about my emotional well-being dad was the guy who you know cut the grass and made sure the house didn't fall apart very accurate Uh, yes uh, <laughs> but yeah, the, the the juxtaposition between those two was really strong for me. I think. Yeah. I, did you have thoughts on that? Sorry. Oh, oh. Um. So I'm just just thinking about the entire 
game and all that, just because it's so, it's so complicated, um, because it's so clear that Joel loved Ellie so much. Like, just mm-hmm. that, that museum, I know everyone brings up the museum part, but that part really is magical when they're both in the space capsule and he gives her this tape to listen to, um, this, I, I think it's like a rocket landing or, or like taking off or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, like a Russian space capsule going yeah. into orbit or something like that. Yeah. yeah. And it's so, it's so clear that he loved her, um, and that love was not, in any form uncomplicated because ultimately he did like you can't take away the fact that he did steal her agency and wanting to define her life on her own terms especially as the one person who could offer a cure for the rest of the world and he there's mm, like i have issues with uh the way that a lot of I, i think there's this feeling of very strong resentment for the violence that Ellie commits in this game, which is fair, but I I see it often juxtaposed with a lot more softness at Joel, even though he commits similar acts of violence. Like, he, he kills a lot of people, not just when he takes away her ability to serve as a cure for humanity, but throughout the entire first game, he kills a lot of people. So... For me, like, when I see people sort of say, like, or or act like Ellie is um, particularly awful for her violence, it just makes me think about how we see women enacting the same violence that men do and how differently we judge them for that. Because I don't think Ellie is significantly different from Joel in the violence that she enacts. Like, I don't know, what, what do you think about that? No, yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it comes across in ways, like, you know, uh, uh, the animators of this game, you know, pay great attention to how differently, you know, Joel is a six foot tall, muscular uh, guy who's had 20, 30 years of experience uh, fighting to get by, whereas Ellie from the first game is 14 and like you're really discouraged from, <coughs> excuse me, nope. you're really discouraged from uh, uh, facing people head on. And still in this game, there's there's a different level of strength in her even though she's she's much scrappier and she has to uh fight on her feet and i think i i think that you're probably right in that you know you know what stuck out to me is like every almost every single time ellie in last of us part two like sneaks up on someone and you know stabs them in the throat Mm -hmm. she's like shut up she says something like shut up or just you know quiet or whatever and it does it does avoid like action movie hero line isms, but after hearing it a billion yeah, times, I was up, like, Ellie, shut up. We, we, we get it. Uh, so I, I wonder, I wonder, I know, uh, I forget the name of the woman who co-wrote this, but uh, Holly um, Gross. Yeah, she's fantastic. Uh, yeah, I, um, I, I, I wonder if she was focused on the broader strokes of the story or if she had a hand to play in some of those minor character dialogue writing moments. Cause one of the things that really does stick out to me is how you speak about the softness of these characters. And you're absolutely right. Is these are softer characters than anything we ever really got in the first last of us. Cause we had Joel, Ellie, uh, I think her name was Dina. Um, the woman who dies Tess. after Tess. Yeah, yeah. Tess or not, Dina. <laughs> uh, Tess. Uh, then you had, Bill, uh, who was just a giant curmudgeon. Yeah, you had, and... had Sam and Henry. 
<clears throat> Sam and Henry, who like they're they're softer, but they're still like boys. Yeah. And uh, and then from there on, you have really no like other than the uh, black woman who runs that sect of the Fireflies. You don't really have any other female presence in that story. I think. Yeah, Marlene. So, uh, Marlene. Yeah. Uh, so this you can tell that this is a like modern naughty dog game because whoever is in charge of like scripting out and writing the these little bits of character dialogue you know just when they're like opening a door or like chit-chatting because what do you do when you're like you know on a two-week journey to seattle is you chit-chat and there's little dialogue or there's like a little remark about like oh that's weird or like shit let's never do that again (laughs) or whatever the the real kind of dialogue you have when you're just trying to fill some space other rather than video gamey dialogue where you're like what's the the pro zd joke uh (laughs) the the character stabs someone with the sword i think he got the point uh (laughs) over and over again but um so i i like i'm not so upset that this game is like 40 freaking hours long because it does allow for a lot of those smaller moments and smaller conversations to happen and that to me is like an example of softness of like you know hey yeah we have a, an objective and like it's it's really really important but look at this view or like let's take a breather because we have no idea what's on the other side of that door uh or like let's take a breather because we just went through something really tough together and you see that with all the characters but like dina and ellie feel particularly like they're they're bantering so well so that i my my partner aiden is over in the other room and let me tell you folks i, I can't tell if they're laughing or listening in or anything but uh the banter between dina and ellie was basically our relationship of like <laughs> constantly shitting on each other yes, in in, so in a loving way yeah um but yeah i know that what neil Druckmann yeah. has uh, the game's director has stated that um hallie gross in particular was uh super excellent at at the romance at the sort of the tension the delicacies in the sub in the subtleties of the dialogue and it's it's not just to her credit but also to the credit of um the directing of the body language uh in so Mm -hmm. many of these scenes that um the subtleties and the delicacies come out so much in the softness like when i think of the softness of the characters in this game i think of um i think of when ellie and dina get to the tv station and uh Ellie, the moment that she sees Abby's photo, um, she's going through all the photos, and when she sees Abby's photo, Dina sort of comes by her side, and she gently takes away the photo from her, and is like, so, three down, right? And Ellie's like, yeah, three down, in terms of the people that they are hunting down to get to Abby, and she just takes it so gently and looks at her so reassuringly as she puts away the photos in her backpack it is just such a just a quiet and small moment but it it speaks so much about the care that these two characters have for each other similarly when um like a little bit before dina um when they find the photograph of leah on uh the body of that dude with the scar that ellie gave him a scar and um they kill him and whatnot uh I think Dina asks her uh, if Leah and Abby are the same person. And when she asks Ellie if Abby is Leah, she asks her, oh, is she the one with the 
is Abby the one with the braid instead of saying, is Abby the one that killed Joel? Um, mm. Or Leah or something like that. Like, she, she's trying to get clearance on sort of who is who. And the way that she phrases it in terms of the one with the braid instead of the one that killed Joel or that, or, or you know, anything that brings up even more trauma for Ellie. Such a small moment, but so, so meaningful and so delicate. And I, I, I really think it's so important for that softness to come through, especially with all the violence in the game. Um, just because if you're going to touch on the capacity of humanity to be its best and its worst you you need to balance that out um and i think for me the first game really lacked in that subtlety that just elevates this story and its characters so much yeah I, uh, the being a partner to someone is an interesting blend of being soft with them but also when it really, really counts, maybe sticking your neck out and and doing something that like you, you're not entirely sure if they'll they'll push back against, but like you think maybe this will be for their their for their greater good. Uh, the the pulling the photo away from Ellie moment, being like, hey, is this the person with is Abby the one with the braid? Um, shows that level of of care that yeah, Dina has for Ellie as a as a person and as a, a lover uh we you know like any couple uh my, my partner and i have squabbles and fights and i try to find smaller moments where i can't even if like they hate my guts in that moment i'm gonna try to do something nice to make sure that they don't like suffer needlessly um i i put out fans for them uh because it gets really hot where we live and little stuff like that but uh, you know, in the time we have left, let's switch gears over to Abby and uh, by proxy Lev and Yara and their half of the story. Because, yeah. God, another another observation about how stupid long this game <laughs> is, is Ellie goes to the marina and I'm like, OK, I wonder if this is the end of the game, because like it's it's big and and loud and yep. a lot of stuff is happening right now whoops uh yeah to play uh, nope, only three days of seattle all over again is abby yep exactly yeah. so i think for I, i'm very curious to know what you think about abby because i i think her arc in the moments you're playing it is way more satisfying because uh, you know of course you're you're getting another hint of society the same way you do in Jackson. Um, you get a hint of what the society looks like in this uh, Washington, Seattle uh, football stadium. I don't know the name of the team. They might actually not even be a real team because I'm sure that there's copyright stuff. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you get a little taste of that society and how things are uh, slowly starting to slip away. And I think, like I mentioned before, Abby's arc tends to be much more about in the moment I'm seeking a redemption after this kind of really horrible thing I did that sparked a lot of the tension between me and these people I, I thought were my in-group, these former Fireflies, and everyone's saying like, yeah, wow, shit really changed after we hunted that guy down, didn't it? Uh, so Abby, seeing her group spin apart like that, uh, seeks that redemption with Lev and Yara uh and to me I think her arc is more satisfying in the moment than it is by the end because it feels like her going to Santa Barbara to find this cabal of this this last cell of Firefly mm -hmm. uh soldiers that Owen was looking for mm -hmm. kind of feels like a like ah come on you're smarter than that <laughs> but 
I wonder I wonder how you felt getting to know this character and it, how you felt as you began to really explore these characters that you know are going to die uh, horribly at Ellie's hand. Yeah, uh, I adore Abby. I would say she... If, if the game didn't have Abby, I don't know if it would have worked. Abby is such right. an integral part of what makes this game so good, in my opinion. And it's just very interesting to see two women who are on the same journey of revenge and redemption, but at very different points. Uh, you know, by the start of the game, um, Abby has already accomplished what she set out to do. She kills Joel, and after that, it's her sort of moving on with her life. But it, for Ellie, it's it's getting, she is where Abby was at the beginning, where Joel killed her father, and she had to sort of reckon with that, and with the feelings of wanting revenge and um, and grief. Uh, so I think they're, they're such interesting characters and parallels to each other, and I, I adore Abby. I adore her story with Lev in particular. Um, when I think about a line that really affected me it's after yara is killed and lev lev's hands are stained with yara's blood and mm-hmm. um lev when they finally get a moment after escaping the wlf lev goes to abby and uh, he says like she's really gone like your people did this and immediately abby goes you're my people and that line is just such a gut punch to me because these are two people oh, yeah. who have been cast out by their respective systems. And I think that's why the story of love and Abby works for me because it's not like, oh, both sides have like good people and them. We should like, you know, acknowledge that some Trump supporters are good and some are bad. It's like, no, like love was cast out from his system because he dared to be who he really was meant to be. And Abby is cast is cast out from her system for having empathy and for recognizing that some of the things that the WLF is doing is unjust and that there is a better way than to just kill everyone and everything. Um, so for me, I just, I, I adore Abby. I, I think she's great. Um, I mean, physically, we're talking about a protagonist you don't see in video games often. This, like, very buff woman who can totally just, like, bench press you, clearly. Like, she, <laughs> she could carry me and she yeah. will, like, throw me to the ground. And I could probably say thank you because she would totally just... I need Abby's, <laughs> I need Abby's workout regimen, oh my God, like, yes. prompto, please. Yeah. Just please. And in terms of the narrative itself, this is this isn't a woman we tend to see often either just someone who is enacting a lot of violence and who you know you're predisposed to hate her like the moment that that switch happens halfway through like everyone is like are you fucking kidding me like do i have to do this like the moment that that happens i was just like do you want me you want me to play as her no this is so i hate this and i was just like like now after like spending 20 hours with or not 20 but 10 hours with my wife i had to play as this (laughs) as the person who traumatized my wife i'm cheating on my wife no (laughs) i just have to play as her sort of the source of her trauma essentially so i'm like god i hate this so much but it's it's so immediately clear that abby it's not just like 
like it didn't feel emotionally manipulative to me the story and the way that it shows that she has a lot of pain too it was just like oh like everyone has something that they're carrying and just like Joel was understandable for what he did I think it's very easy to understand Abby's pain and why she killed Joel um and just sort of watching these two women try to fix themselves by ruining each other is such a compelling and interesting and heartbreaking dynamic um I'm so glad that uh, it's been stated that uh, like for 50% of development, uh, Ellie was going to kill Abby at the end. I'm so glad that was changed because I think that would have, it really would have undermined the whole thing for me. Um, I'm so glad that at the end, both of them are alive and both of them have a chance at forgiving not just other people, but themselves for the violence and the pain that they've enacted and that um, they can sort of move on to a future where their lives aren't dominated by pain or grief. Yeah. I, um, I, I think that the moment that sticks out the most for me with Lev um, and, and the reveal of their, uh, the, the nature of their identity. And obviously like, like you mentioned earlier, this is uh, the, the nitty gritty details of this arc is probably best left to uh, trans writers and, and commentators and they'll, they'll be able to provide the most valuable uh, perspective mm-hmm. on this but in the moment I, I i one i appreciated that like oh okay i i was genuinely surprised when that uh reveal happens and some of the uh seraphites call lev lily and aiden my, my partner who is themselves uh, uh genderqueer uh uses you know they them pronouns <laughs> uh like caught that way faster than i did i was like wait what yeah like, me too it took uh, me a while yeah uh so they later on you have this conversation with yara uh saying hey uh when i when when they first told me about how they felt i was angry i screamed i i was i i you know maybe struck them or something but uh when they shaved their hair at what well, you know presenting as a female they shaved their hair so they could fit in with the men who in this uh cultish community are all required to shave their head uh that's a death sentence in that community if you if you a a female presenting person shave your head and like break this gender norm that they have for some reason lev did that despite knowing it was suicide and that told yara how intrinsically they must feel uh that this is their true nature that this is their true identity and being and uh that it has always been their identity of course Uh, so that to me like spoke really really hard um because that's I, I, I've been blessed enough working in games media and the games industry to meet a lot of people who, you know, struggle with issues of identity. And it's been heartening to see a lot of them um, figure that out as they go along and as they grow. Yeah. Uh, uh, and that to me, I think, was just, just wow, a triple A game with a, a transgender person who is still also kind of processing things. Like yeah. they they they're not like this not stereotypical but they're not like this caricature of like i'm out and loud and proud yeah uh they're this quiet person who's like you know still like they 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 did this they know what they are 
but they're still feeling out what their role in society is now that they've switched over to um, uh, presenting this way. Yeah. And I think that that was really important for a game to include. Yeah. Absolutely, because when you're queer and especially trans, the, the way that this world is, it's it's a lifelong process, right? Like it's never, and I can speak as a cisgender bisexual woman sort of in a very tangential way, you never really finish coming out. You have to sort of constantly reiterate, or I'm constantly very loud about my bisexuality, so I don't have to come out to people as much. But it's always like a thing that you have to do throughout life. Like your fan, I have family members that don't know and will never know. Um, and there are some people who probably don't know and that I might tell in the future and I might not. And it's just something like identity and personhood and how you identify and who you truly are is something that is a lifelong process for anyone in any general sense but uh especially for um love in a world and in a society where um being transgender and not conforming to rigid gender norms is such it's like literally a crime it's a death sentence um i thought it was really wonderful for the game to acknowledge and reckon with that and um I know that people have brought up the criticism that uh, Lev experiences violence because he is trans, while other characters mm-hmm. experience violence for reasons not tied to their identity. And um, similarly, I have heard criticisms about how unnecessary the dead naming is. Like they could have um, communicated the whole story and, um, you know, Lev being trans without giving the dead name um and i think those criticisms are sound and i'm so excited to uh to read more trans criticism along the way because i know it's coming especially from some writers that i really respect and admire and that i love their critical work um so but yeah like i thought i was bracing myself for it to be awful and i was very surprised when it wasn't um i think there's certainly elements to be criticized about it but overall from what i've gathered from my trans friends and other trans critics and the trans community is that um you know love is is a pretty sort of respectful and um graceful critique i know that there were several developers who are trans who worked on Lev and consulted for Lev as well. Um, Lev's voice actor is a trans man as well. So that is a lovely change yeah, from... Yeah, I saw them, yeah. saw them on Twitter uh, being really like proud of their work on that project. And I was like, that's so good. Absolutely. So good. And it's such a welcome change from particularly Naughty Dog's history of casting people i was like oh we're going back to the laura bailey yeah, well laura huh? bailey yeah. has a i was and like at least laura bailey's playing a white woman yeah, yeah and i i do believe laura said that she had not seen concept art for nadine before she auditioned for her uh, but it's still like you know like that we're reckoning with that uh particularly this week as uh uh, Kristen Bell and is it Kristen Bell and um, Jenny Slate? There's a character. Yeah, yeah, Jenny Slate. Uh, they're sort of they're giving up roles that they've had on animated shows where they are white women who vo- who voice uh, characters of color, and uh, BoJack Horseman has also come under fire for um, Diane, a Vietnamese character, and they're being voiced by a white woman. So we're starting to sort of 
understand that there is an issue with uh, characters of specific identities being voiced by people who are not of those identities. So it is it was really nice to see that Lau's voice actor is actually a trans man who definitely must have consulted in some way um, and that ultimately Lev is the game's moral compass. He is such a wonderful character and such a great addition to the main cast um, and it's just such a wonderful relationship that he forms with Abby that I think brings out the best in her. Like Lev and Abby are straight up Joel and Ellie from the first game. Yeah, a little bit. Uh trying to think of like I was going to say Lev's softness coming through in the moments where uh they speak um they they kind of pull Abby out of a more murderous rage uh and say like hey this is, you know let don't do that or uh the the, the voice of reason when the person without much more control uh, over their emotions uh, needs it. Yeah, and it just, I mean, just like how Ali helped Joel grow and learn something besides pain and violence in the first game after losing the Mm -hmm. most important person to him, Love does that for Abby after she loses the person most important to her. And I think it's just, it's such a beautiful relationship and um, Yara and Love are so intrinsic and important to abby's character i can't really separate them from each other um and it's yeah i just i i loved abby's character arc and though it only clicked for me when she really came around to yara and lev i think that's when Mm -hmm. that's when it really clicks for me yeah I um in as we begin to wrap up here a little bit, I I know you also had some really smart thoughts on um, Manny, a uh, like vaguely Hispanic character um, who you know that talks with they they do that that goddamn Hispanic character thing yeah. that they do in so many games and movies where it's like hey cabron you know like they, they'll insert one word uh, into their English. And suddenly they're like the the token character. Yeah. I, I liked Manny as a character. I thought that like he actually had a few like interesting beats yes. to go along with Abby. Just like as as a good, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a sidekick, uh, non- like a best friend. Like a, like, like a side character, like a non-romantic interest, yeah. of course. Like there, there didn't ever seem to be like any tension nope. between them uh but yeah it, the i know speak you you as a uh person of color probably have <laughs> so many thoughts about how we need to move past that as well yeah and specifically as a latinx person um because i know the voice actor and the mocap actor for him is mexican so that made it a little less bad but ultimately it is the fault of the writing that why the character doesn't work not the actor and um how true he happens to be to the character. Um, yeah, I just, I, I mentioned it in my review. My, I gave The Last of Us 2 a 9.5, but I, I have issues with, in general, Naughty Dog hasn't been the best at handling race, and it's a lot better here, but there is also the, the criticism that, you know, Nora and Isaac, the game's two, primary supporting black characters are both killed um and that's a fair criticism uh you know manny um for me it it 
it was so frustrating because he stuck out in this in this sort of sea of things that could have gone wrong but didn't for me in this game that he was handled so clumsily made him stick out like a sore thumb for me from the ways in which he is othered through being the only person who is not from the United States and um, just the writing of the, the, you know, when he tells Abby, get me something con picante. Like, Abby doesn't know what yeah. the fuck that means. Like, she does not know what con picante means. What the fuck? She's, is that spicy or sour? Yeah, or <laughs> it's like, it's, it's just inauthentic, I believe, to how bilingual people speak, especially um, Latinx people, just because, at least as someone who speaks both Spanish and English, I will only bring up one language. Like, if I'm talking to a group of people and nobody there understands Spanish, there's absolutely no reason for me to suddenly say a word in Spanish. Maybe at most exactly, I yeah. might be like, uh, I might say like a, I might exclaim in Spanish, but Spanish is also not my primary language. It's my secondary language. So that wouldn't even be the case. The opposite tends to happen where I'm talking in Spanish with my mom and I'll forget a word. So I'll be like, um, and then I'll say the word in English and she'll be like, what the fuck does that mean? And I'm like, uh, context clues, mother, please help me out here because I don't know the word in Spanish. <laughs> so I just, I found the writing really clumsy for Manny and it was frustrating because like you said, he has so many good beats as a character. I, I loved him as a character. He... Um, he has a little story arc with his father who um, seems to, you know, be struggling with health issues and him and Abby are such a good pair of friends. They are so unconditionally there for each other and it's so heartwarming to see. Um, but yeah, and I mean, it's it's not as bad as Cyberpunk 2077 and how it's already <laughs> handled Jackie. <laughs> it's like primary Latinx character. But or just still, like, was it, um, you have Overwatch and Valorant with, uh, yeah. you know, the, oh, the stereotypical so- Sombra oh. characters. Yeah. Uh, another, like, oh, Thief with a Heart of Gold who also does the, like, single Spanish word and, like, yeah. an English and sentence kind of thing. But, it's all the yeah. same thing of, like, this very vaguely Latinx accent that is not ascribed to any particular region and that ignores the fact that Latinx culture is such a diverse amalgamation of different you know accents different demographics different cultures different priorities um someone who speaks spanish in mexico sounds very different from someone who speaks spanish in cuba like it's just that's Mm. just how it is so um i think video games definitely need to be better with this like so much better like we're not even at the sort of at the minimum but um yeah, it, it was disappointing to me because Manny is a great character and I hope that they've seen... I know a lot of devs have seen my review and I've chatted with a lot of devs in the past few weeks, so hopefully it's something that they will keep in mind for the future. I'm I'm not sure if I should count on it, but I it, it would be nice to see Latinx characters not be othered through accents or through really just clumsy writing. Like, there's just no excuse for it. Um, so... It's not a perfect game, and that's one of the main issues that I had with it. Uh, and I hope it gets better in the future. Yeah. Also, Manny just goes out in such a brutal way that I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, the thing so that, that, I, I thought but... that at first, too, but in the conversations about violence regarding this game, 
I will say that I think people don't give enough credit to the fact that the violence isn't, it doesn't feel super voyeuristic when it comes to the main characters. Like, like Manny goes out in a really bad way, but that's it. Like, the camera doesn't sort of linger on his face yeah. or on Jesse's face after Abby shoots him in the face, in the cheek or something. Like, it's, it's very like, you know, that's, that's kind of how it would play out. It doesn't drag on those moments for storytelling. It's just a brutal death in a brutal world. And I, I do appreciate that, that at least that wasn't done. I, I'm trying to find the crumbs that I can appreciate. I'm yeah. trying to take them as they uh, come. So it's, yeah. it's, it's funny you mentioned like the, the, the way these characters go out and the way that violence is employed in a game like this, especially with uh, two female protagonists um, side by side. Uh, it's funny. I, I, I'm looking up at a bookshelf I've got here at my place mm-hmm. And I have a book that I, I gave to Aiden like a year or so ago called uh, Good and Mad by Rebecca Traster, mm-hmm. who is a really good uh, you know, feminist writer. Um, people should totally check out that book. And the, the general crux of the book is that um, uh, painting a history of how women's anger has been uh, uh, employed throughout the centuries for social change, but also how it's been wielded against them by you know straight white men in in places of power and uh, just a really really good really really blunt um, exploration of women's anger and the the effect it can have on a society Um, and to me playing a game I think like my final thought coming out of the last of us part two is just that yeah a lot of the marketing leans into uh the, the the violence and like this is the grittiest fucking game you've ever played yeah. <laughs> but playing through it even when i you know cut the throat of like the millionth uh wolf or scar uh and even even during the the few moments where it's like oh i don't know if i would have done that ellie like when ellie uh starts beating up uh, nora, nora yeah. the, black, the black character uh which is like kind of her first uh cinematic like breaking down moment right um to me the violence felt different than anything i had played in the original last of us where it's joel and it's it's more in your face and it's funny i don't know if it was just like the lighting on my tv or like the lighting in this game i remember in the the first last of us you you can pan the camera around as joel chokes somebody out and like you know it's just another guy and it, the game was really good about showing the twitchiness of that person's eyes like as they struggle to get away mm-hmm. uh but in this game there's still that like there's still you know the hands are scrabbling at ellie's face and they're tr- and she's trying to you know put them down for good but i didn't notice quite as much of a uh cinematic uh, uh uh what's the word i'm looking for kind of emphasis maybe yeah it, it didn't feel as uh fuck i don't know what the word i'm looking for is but like voyeuristic yeah. and it didn't feel as voyeuristic i guess uh it, it felt like ellie ellie by nature of her size and the nature of female anger in a world that probably tries to stamp that out mm-hmm. uh at every turn she's trying to be quick and efficient with it and that to me illustrates a lot about her character and a lot about what it means to be a woman in this world where you know, if if you feel like you can actually go out and get that revenge, here's how you go out and get it. Yeah, absolutely. Like I don't, I don't see The Last of Us Two as 
a quote-unquote whatever it means to be a feminist game for no. portraying women who are doing the violence, but I think there's something to be said for the fact that this doesn't really happen or isn't really shown in video games and that um, the rage and pain of women isn't explored to this degree. Um, I don't think... I've seen a lot of people say that they think the game either implicates you in the violence, which I really disagree with, especially going back to the Nora scene where you're literally the one being beat up by Ali. Like, just because we are playing as Ali, it doesn't mean we are... The, the game is implying us in the violence, and I think the marketing mm. failed in this regard too because so much emphasis was put on we want to make you feel bad for the violence that you're committing. But additionally, I think the game is smart enough to not condemn or condone violence like it it acknowledges it as a tool for um achieving justice for wanting to rebuild something that has to be destroyed in order to be rebuilt all over again um which is especially timely considering everything happening in the country right now (laughs) um just it's it, it validates violence as a tool for um for anger, for wanting justice, for pain, um, and as a language of the unheard and those who have been disillusioned by systems and by society, and The Last of Us literally takes place in a society that has been broken down and in which the systems have all but disappeared and new ones have sort of come up out of that, but um, they're very much bastardized versions of the ones that they were originally. And so I, I really like that the game doesn't seem to be sort of wagging its finger at you for being like hey this is this is bad or at least that's how i came out of it i didn't feel like the game was telling me this is a, like super bad for you to do like this violence is not something you should do it just explores the reasons why ellie and abby find violence to be the best tools that they can use yeah. to sort of not just mourn joel and um abby's father but also to allow the survival of their memories and um yeah just in a world where barely anything survives uh I I think that the the game doesn't do anything new in terms of like saying oh revenge bad but it does allow you to explore yeah the the broader implications that has on a person Yeah. yeah so uh, you know, Nat, I am absolutely satisfied with what we've gotten so far. Yeah. I We could talk, I'm sure, for 60 more hours about the game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, we, we didn't really even touch on like the gameplay outside of the, the use of violence, but uh, I think we'll wrap it up there just to be respectful of your time and respectful of the audience. And, you know, folks, if you have any thoughts, feel free to let us know on Twitter. And Nat, where can people find you if they want to follow your work and uh, hear more gushing about The Last of Us Part Two? Yes, I do that so often. Oh my god, it's all that I do. Uh, <laughs> you can find all that gushing over The Last of Us 2 and other video games that are sometimes good uh, at Hardimicia on Twitter. That is heart, I-M-E-C-I-A. I'm also, as stated at the beginning of the show, the weekend writer at Fan by it so you can find me crying over the last of us two or other things over the weekends uh every weekend over there and i am technically a freelancer so i can still pop up at a site uh here and there like vice or Eurogamer or polygon etc etc so yeah 
And folks, you can find The 1099 on all your usual platforms, Twitter at The 1099 Podcast. Uh, You can find it on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud is our primary one, but it should propagate to pretty much every major uh, podcast platform that you are listening to. Sorry about the kind of gap in episodes lately. We had a couple of cancellations that I was really upset about, and it's just a weird time overall, of course, for everyone. So going to be working to bring you some meaningful discussions of course here in the next weeks as always and i thank you guys for sticking with us and for staying safe we hope you are all out there uh you know staying safe and needing to do what needs to be done and enjoying video games of course and yeah follow me on twitter at joseph noop j-o-s-e-p-h-k-n-o-o-p and once again natalie thank you so much thank you for having me